0: Hi, this is Matt Babcock from Babcock Hoops, and this is on the board sports.
1: You okay. can on the ball. And welcome back to another edition of the On The Board Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Thomas, a.k.a. Shawnee on the mic. Happy Wednesday to all. As always, joined by my main man, my co-host, William Cherucci, a.k.a. Will C. Will. Happy Wednesday,
2: pal. Yes, happy Wednesday indeed. And, you know, we're here right now. We're, we're all going through this coronavirus stuff, and especially what's going on out in the world right now. But we're here to give you guys another episode of the On The Board Sports Podcast. And we are joined by a very special guest. Joining us is Greg Bishop from Sports Illustrated. Greg, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate you coming on, sacrificing some time with us. How
0: are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Thank you for coming on. Greg, how did your love for sports writing and sports journalism uh, come into fruition for you?
0: Well, this is going to sound totally nerdy, but when I was eight years old, my father got me a subscription to Sports Illustrated. And sometimes I tell the story and people think I'm kind of making it up because it sounds a little fanciful. And this was back in the Rick Riley heyday. You know, there were so many amazing writers on the staff. I remember I used to get the magazine when I was a kid and flip to the back page and read Riley's column first. That was like a must do. And then you go through all these stories. This was Austin Murphy and Phil Taylor. And, you know, a lot of my colleagues that I worked with since in the six years that I've been at SI, you know, guys like Chris Ballard and Grant Wall and John Wertheim and Michael Rosenberg. And, you know, you just, I, I just sort of fell in love. I love sports, I love writing, and I love reading about both. And it was really kind of crazy to me that you could have a world where someone paid you to do this thing. You know, you got to go to these events and meet these athletes and really dig into their stories. Like the, the kind of work I do is mostly longer, you know, 10 magazine pages, you know, you really get to dive in deep. and to understand these guys, hopefully at a little bit deeper level. And so, you know, that was something I've read SI cover to covers, you know, for 30 years, I'm dating myself a little. And it was just always something I wanted to do. And then to get the chance to work there, which I did in 2014, you know, it definitely felt surreal. Greg, through all
1: those stories that you've done, do you have like a favorite tool, two or three that
0: you've written for? Oh man, that's that's a tough one. Uh, I, lo- I, I loved a lot of stories. You know, I, I think uh, one that really stuck with me, I did when I was at the New York Times. I was there from 2007 to 14, out where you guys are, uh, you know, and I did a piece in 2008 where I went to a Native American reservation in New Mexico, the Acoma Reservation. It's the oldest indigenous people, or at least they lay claim to it in the entire United States. You know, they lay claim to being here far beyond when when, uh, America was settled, et cetera. And yeah, you're talking 1400s. And these guys, they uh, are huge Dallas Cowboys fans and they live uh, on top of a sandstone mesa out of New Mexico, about 70 miles from Albuquerque. And there's no running water atop this this mesa. It's a huge, big rock. You've actually probably seen it in like Toyota commercials. They're often filmed at this specific reservation. And these people have religious ceremonies and they love Uh, they, they will stop them and they will bring generators up in their trucks to listen to the Dallas Cowboys games. And so in 2008, that was a year when the Cowboys were playing the Giants in the playoffs. That was the year that the David Tyree helmet catch when they won the Super Bowl. And I was able to hang out with them before that playoff game and write about their life being in between these two worlds, right? You have this really modern spectacle that is NFL football. And then you have, these ancient rituals that have been around longer than the actually United States government. And, you know, see the dichotomy of how they were trying to modernize and how they were trying to, you know, live. And, you know, I just loved it. In fact, actually, hold on real quick. They, they sent me this when I got married. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. And, that's and essentially awesome. what it is is like a, a ancient tribal wow. travel, where you and your uh, significance sit from either side of it and they sent it to me uh that that was a story that stuck with me but you oh, know, I, yeah i think that there have been plenty of them you know i wrote about an iranian tennis referee who couldn't work the us open who ended up being able to uh come over they actually changed the law for uh people from iran if they had uh, significant value in some sort of event that they were able to come in and work and and live their life in that way Uh, You know, that was a memorable one to me, but also just like things I've been at. You know, I was there for David Tyrese helmet catch. I saw Santonio Holmes tiptoe and make that game-winning Super Bowl catch in the back of the end zone. I was at Wimbledon when they played the the three-day longest match in professional tennis history. I saw Rafael Nadal uh, win his record seventh uh, French Open in Paris. I mean, it's just, uh, I, I pinch myself a lot because those are cool moments that you just happen to be able to be involved in. And, you know, I I think it's less for me, it's less like a cover on Tom Brady that excites me. Although those are fine, but, and more like, you know, real stories about real, real people I've I've written about the Halinski family who lost their son who died by suicide at Washington state. I've, I wrote about the bus crash in Humboldt, Canada that killed 16 hockey players. A couple years ago, uh, we did a follow up story on one of them whose organ donation drive led to 200,000 donors. I mean, it's it's a it's really cool to be able to tell these kind of stories. And those are the kind that stick with me the most for sure. Absolutely
2: is for sure. One of the things that I noticed with you, Greg, is that you covered the Jets during this time as well. Uh, I'm a Jets fan saying this. So <laughs> during, 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 the years, during the years of 2007 <laughs> and 2014, the Jets made it to the two AFC championship games. And, you know, they closed out Giant Stadium by beating the Bengals and, and you know, blowout fashion, everything like that. Uh, talk to us about your time covering both the Jets and you also covered the Seattle Seahawks as well for the Seattle Times. So talk to us about that.
0: Yeah, so I covered the Seahawks right out of college. I went to Syracuse, uh, you know, upstate from you guys. And uh, that was fun because it was right when they were building toward the Super Bowl. You know, the, that was a team that had not been good for a long time. Then you got Walter Jones, you've got Matt Hasselbeck, you've got Sean Alexander. And these guys were like really brought Seattle's, you know, football to the prominence of in the point where we see it today. They, they had opened a new stadium, it's so loud. I left for the New York Times in 2007. And my first, uh, my first uh, day in, in New York, I believe, uh, was when they benched Chad Pennington. That was like my first day, like uh, covering the team. So they were out in Hempstead at the time, and they were playing under Eric Mangini. And then I covered the transition to Rex Ryan. Now I don't know how. how I'm assuming as a Jets fan that you remember those days, but it was wild back then. You know, it was. I like, remember that. I felt like a non-important war correspondent and that like you woke up every day and you had no idea what was going to happen, you know, like right. that was Rex Ryan's foot fetish. That was uh, Mark Sanchez dating a 16-year-old. That was Braylon Edwards' DUI. That was I'm not going to kiss Belichick's rings. Yeah. And then they were like good too, like that those teams were, were actually like on the rise, you know, and yeah. I just remember how many characters were in that locker room. I got along great with Bart Scott. We did a piece once on the art of trash talk where I went to his house and we watched wrestling videos because that was his inspiration for how he talks smack on the field. I grew very close to Darrell Rivas, ended up doing a cover on him for SI. You know, we talked a lot about craft and how obsessive he was in preparation, but I, I loved Thomas Jones, a guy who was so, Normal that we went to the Department of Labor to film a commercial one time for a story, like how non-celebrity was that. And now this guy, he's like a famous actor now. He was in a a bunch of movies and TV shows. And Chris Jenkins, I love that dude. He cooked for me one time uh, to show me how he was trying to lose weight. I watched him have surgery on his leg one time. It was just a really interesting group, you know. There were there are guys like from that team that I still keep in touch with, and you know Rex was bombastic and wild and. Mike Pett and I always thought was interesting. And they were opening that new facility in Florham Park. And I'd drive there every day from the East Village and get to see like all of New Jersey. And it was just a, it was a really fun time because those teams were interesting and we were never out of it. In fact, I did keep one copy of the New York Post from that time where you can see us all interviewing Rex after the foot fetish thing had popped off. And essentially what the headline said is agony of defeat. I have that somewhere in my office here too. So. That was an experience I will never forget. I don't imagine I'll ever cover a team with that many things going on again in my life.
2: Greg, to talk about that time in 2008, right? You mentioned Chad Pennington being benched. I gotta I got ask this because the, I just graduated high school at that time in 08, okay? And you covering the team, that's crazy, okay? Just talking about it. But Brett Favre being there for the year with the Jets in 2008, what was that like having the you know cover cover the team I know you, you mentioned you covered the team you mentioned all the other names but Brett Favre in general that was just because you go from Chad then you yeah. go to Brett and then he gets hurt and he, you know Pennington comes back and wins the division at Giant Stadium and then Rex comes in being the coach the following year
0: Yeah uh,
2: take us through that Brett Favre that Brett Favre 2008 Jet year
0: Not only is that a great point, but things were so crazy that that was like one element I had actually forgotten about, (laughs) you know, like, and that was like this huge deal. (laughs) Right. I remember there was just so many facets to it. I remember uh, talking to Peter King at the end of that last season for Favre in Green Bay, and he was saying essentially like, you should keep an eye on it. And I think he was kind of nodding to me that, you know, that this was a possibility that might happen. I remember um staking out Favre when he came out and I remember just the sort of attention I think what people forget about that year is how good he was like this wasn't uh right. was. this wasn't like one of those swan songs where you see to me it's more like what we've seen with Brady this offseason like I think they're legitimately gonna be a playoff contender and Favre when the Jets were eight and three that year you know was an MVP candidate he was really he good was. And then he hurt the bicep on his throwing arm and it was just never the same and that was really typified for me by that loss in Seattle where, you know, he just didn't look like himself. And he, you know, um, he couldn't throw the ball. I mean, he just couldn't get it downfield. Their whole season goes up in smoke, you know, toward the end of the year. But, you know, I just remember sort of the circus element of it. I mean, one thing I miss, you know, I live in Seattle now, outside Seattle. And uh, one thing I miss about living in New York is just how big everything felt. Like every event was just cosmic. And, you know, there's all these guys I grew up reading, Gary Myers and Mark Canizero and, Mike Vaccaro and you know these are like le- legit New York sports guys you know that like they, they like give team shit and like don't mind being in the fray and it just felt really cool to be involved with that what's interesting is I did end up doing a cover on Farve years later for our where they now issue a few years ago and ended up going to his house and we reminisced about all those days and he, you know pull up in the driveway and he's holding these gluten-free muffins up for me and the photographer. <laughs> terrible by the way don't ever eat a gluten-free muffin uh, not from farm anyway and you know it was just like you know guys like that like uh endless endless uh stories and you know he had some controversy too and it was just i remember very very wild to cover him
1: those are some amazing um oh, stories greg those are just amazing Greg. Greg, so to get to the league right now, obviously everything is in a fray with everything that is going on. But we still have the storylines: Brady to Tampa, Gronk is joining him there. Uh, Philip uh, Rivers goes from the Charters to the Colts. Christian McCaffrey got paid. Dak wants to get paid. To you, what is the top uh, storyline or the top uh, storylines that we've had so far at the
0: NFL? Yeah, I think, I think you hit the big ones. Uh, to me, Brady leaving is definitely big because I think reading between the lines there, you know, I've, I've written a lot about Tom. I just think he was he was ready for something else, ready for a different coach. And I think it's pretty clear that he wanted to try something different this year. That to me is pretty interesting. You know, you have 20 years of history between two people and maybe they don't get along the best. It, it's like any marriage, it's, it's difficult. You, you know, you need to work at it and you should probably be as nice as you can to each other. And, you know, I think it was pretty stark that he was not happy last year in New England, that he didn't feel like he had enough weapons. And now he's going to play on a team with, you know, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and Ronald Jones and O.J. Howard and, oh, by the way, Gronk's going to join too. And I think, you know, we may see a scenario with Brady where his arm goes the way that Peyton's did at the end. Like, that's definitely a possibility. But if he has anything left, if this is, you know, uh, it's a swan song, I think it could be pretty exciting to watch. Uh, to me, the developments in Dallas are big too. I mean, they basically now have the best backup quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion. Uh, you know, we can argue about Andy Dalton's status as a starter or how good he may or may not be, but he's a team that he's a guy that has taken teams to the playoffs before, a guy who can make a lot of throws. They're obviously not without weapons in Dallas, they obviously have a good line. Uh, you know, so I think like Dak Prescott has earned the money that he will ultimately be paid, but it's to me a pretty fascinating situation because they clearly would like to fall in the realm of, we paid him a lot, but not too much. And he clearly would like more money than any player in the NFL. Uh, based on how he played last year and the position that he plays, to me that's a fair argument. Uh, when you got a guy like that, uh, you know, you don't let him get out the door in my opinion, even if it's gonna hamstring you a little bit. And then I think the drama in Green Bay is the other thing that would stand out to me. You know, the, 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 They don't look like they helped themselves in the draft. Uh, their first two picks in particular were head scratching Maybe they're the rare organization that goes three quarterbacks for 30 years. It would be pretty incredible if they did that. Have you seen it with two people like, you know, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, uh, you know, but not often with three that are long like that. And so I buy Matt LaFleur, I buy that system, but I'm curious as to why they went in those directions. And then, you know, I think uh, the other thing that I think is interesting going into this year is just that. We haven't had a repeat champion in over, you know, in almost 15 years now. I think the Chiefs have a really good chance. We also haven't seen a team other than the Patriots go back to the Super Bowl after losing it. And I think the 49ers have a really good chance. And so uh, we could see a rematch in the Super Bowl, which I can't remember if that ever happened maybe once. And, uh, you know, that would be pretty cool too. But, I will say, thank God for the NFL, right? Like, there's no sports right now. and We're still talking about this stuff because the league is such a dominant force and it means so much to some people. And so, uh, you know, it's good to have this many storylines percolating or whatever.
1: Greg, um, um, to stay on the uh, football field, a story that you wrote about was, and another big uh, storyline, DeAndre H- H- Hopkins. He gets a traded from Houston to an AZ, and you're hearing that him and Bill didn't have the best relationship, and Bill felt away because the Andre has like a bunch of kids and blah blah blah. What was your take? And and when you um, had to write that, you know, how was it trying to go about finding it, everything for that piece?
0: You know, the hardest thing was actually coronavirus (laughs) because usually I would go fly out and see DeAndre and spend some time with him and go bowling or eat or whatever, you know, we usually do in these kind of stories. And instead this was all set up in like roughly a week, you know, we basically, they were like, they needed a cover. Uh, He had been on my story list. He had been traded, which made him even more relevant than just the fact that he's one of the best receivers in pro football. And it was just like a matter of like, could we do a, a photo shoot with like, social distancing, which they did do, like in person with enough space. And, you know, um, could, could we do an interview and could I put the story together fast enough? But one thing that became clear, you know, him and I, for our first conversation talked for almost two hours, I was a little bit surprised at just how long it went. And, you know, it was clear really soon into that conversation that he is not happy with Bill O'Brien and that he knew as as, rec- as early as before last season started that he wouldn't be playing in Houston this year. So, you know, one thing that he told me was that he had talked to his family members about moving on. Uh, He loved Deshaun Watson. He loved playing with him, but he felt like Bill O'Brien. You know, they, he told me they had no relationship. Uh, He was bothered in particular by one meeting when Bill compared him to Aaron Hernandez, when he used the term baby mothers, Uh, Deandre has three, three kids with three women, uh, not married. And he just felt like uh, the fact that they had no relationship and that this meeting took place sort of emphasize to him how he was thought of in the organization. You know, when he's a guy who has played every single game that wasn't meaningless in his entire career, despite serious injuries, including, you know, busted ribs and a broken finger in the playoff game last year when they almost beat the Chiefs before they won the Super Bowl. And so, you know, I think what he wanted is what we all want, right? Like, you want respect from your employer. You want to feel like the work that you put in is worthwhile and means something. And I think he wanted a chance to win the Super Bowl. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if this season is that season, but I like what they're doing in Arizona. You got Kyler Murray, who to me, could be a breakout star this year, uh, obviously rookie of the year last year. But, to, you know, you can solidify his status among the top quarterbacks in the league. Uh, I love their coach and Cliff Kingsbury uh, beyond just his house, which we saw during the NFL draft. And, uh, you know, I like their weapons. You know, Christian Kirk's a fast receiver. You know, Larry Fitzgerald's a wily veteran. DeAndre Hopkins to me is top three wide out in the game. And then you add in like uh, you know um, the running back they had last year that um, uh, Kenyon Drake that you know like that fits Cliff's style perfectly. Uh, they added another back in the draft, and I just think that the the NFC West in particular should be really interesting. The Seahawks are a top 10 team to me. The the uh, 49ers are a top 10 team to me. The Rams have enough to be flirting with you know in that eight and eight realm, which is close enough to maybe get a playoff. Birth if things go well and the Cardinals are on the rise. So to me, that's one of the more interesting divisions as we get ready to start the season.
2: Speaking of the other divisions in the NFL, one division in particular stands out. And we talked about this team earlier, New York Jets and the AFC East. Tom Brady's gone, Rob Gronkowski's gone, but you can't doubt Bill Belichick. Miami's still in a rebuild, but they still have some great young pieces with Brian Flores there. And the Buffalo Bills are still, the favorite right now they had a top 10 defense two years ago they had a top 10 defense last year they're going to build on that and the Jets they had a lot of injuries last year as well Sam Darno being out Avery Williamson out CJ Mosley being out uh excuse me what do you see happening in that AFC East
0: yeah I think it's pretty interesting right like it would be awesome to have another team win the division just because it would be nice to just have something different to me Uh, I think the Jets have some pieces, you know. I like Sam Darnold. I like uh, Jamal Adams. I think that they're uh, a team with some players that still need some building to do. Mm-hmm. To me, Buffalo would be closer, you know. I think adding Stefan Diggs is big for them. I think, you know, he's obviously a guy who has a lot of different talents, you know. Fast guy, but also a possession kind of receiver. And I think that that's something that they've been really lacking is like a really uh, go-to guy. I thought Devin Singletary was great last year. I think he could be, you know, the kind of guy that um, steps into a real kind of feature role. And so when I look at that division, I, th- I think like instinctually, like hard to bet against the Patriots, even though it may be Jared Stidham under center. Maybe he's better than we thought. Maybe they know what we do not. Maybe this is just going to be more proof of Bill Belichick's genius. But when I see them ranked, like I think they were ninth in ESPN's power rankings. That felt a little high to me. You know, this was a team that Tom Brady clearly felt uh, didn't have enough offensive weaponry to be where he wanted to stay in the last two years of his career. I think that's indicative. I don't think they went out and added a bunch of guys on offense. I think their defense was great for the first half of last year, but kind of wasn't as dominant down the stretch. You know, I love Stefan Gilmore. I think he's probably the best corner in pro football. But it's not like they have a bunch of names there. And so I think it would also be the most Belichick thing ever if they had one year of strategic tanking, they have a ton of money uh, for the cap next year and maybe this is a year where they just sort of finish fourth and rebuild and sign a bunch of guys and then they're back in the Super Bowl next year. Like that would be very Belichickian too. But um, to me, that's a division that's open and sort of up for grabs. And, you know, I think there's things to like about every team, but I'd probably tap Buffalo personally as a favorite.
1: Well said, Greg, well said. Greg, to go from the football field, I know you've written about, mixed martial arts and the mma um ufc they've had a couple of events i think like two three events during this whole uh pandemic thing here what's your thoughts about them continuing to have events after e events and what do you think the and and how do you think the usc and mma is going to change given this whole a uh, new norm
0: no that's a good question and i sort of go back and forth on it like part of me is nervous because i feel like they're coming back too early and I think what we don't wanna see is sports return is some sort of rash of viruses or a star who gets sick or anything that would sort of halt momentum in its tracks. That's why I personally would be a little bit more careful in terms of letting some time pass to really see our rates going down. What does the CDC recommend? What are the best practices that could be put in place? You know, that said, I don't think anyone's ever gonna tell Dana White that he should, you know, wait or be more careful. One thing he told me, in an interview I did with him, is that he had not planned at all on stopping. That he wanted to go the whole time. That this delay for him was something that he felt like was unnecessary and forced upon him by other people. I think that's pretty true to form. Like Dan has never been the kind of guy that's gonna, you know, stand on uh, stand and listen to other people. He's been sort of a rebel from the start, and he's had a lot of success that way. Uh, I, I liked in, I liked the shows themselves. I guess you know when I watched in some ways without fans it was kind of interesting. Uh, you could kind of hear the thuds of the strikes uh, you know i like the fighters themselves who said they could hear the commentary and use it to adjust sort of their game plan i thought that was an interesting wrinkle and in some ways i felt it kind of it felt kind of pure to watch it like a, a fight with no, none of the theatrics that we come to associate with boxing and mma and then you know I, I also just think it's really interesting in terms of like looking to the future and like this boxing borrow from from this you know like uh, the top ranks talking about having a show this upcoming weekend you know do they do the same protocols are they different does they become sort of a standard playbook for all sports and can baseball and basketball and football learn from what we're seeing now with the combat sports or is that going to be different in the future too and so i think it just speaks to the uncertainty in the world right like i kind of like it i kind of hate it and i'm really curious to see what happens so the, I, I feel all of that at once
2: Greg, my final question for you is, Major League Baseball came out today and they rejected the 114 game plan that the MLBPA came out with. Uh, do you see baseball, you know, one way or another, just coming back here and just saying, hey, we got to figure something out here because we're losing out on A, time, and B, money. Uh, what, what's your take on, on Major League Baseball rejecting the 114 game plan and is there something that can that can happen?
0: I think there's enough money at stake where the the leagues will figure out something. But I think what you just said speaks to the uncertainty involved here. You know, here is a a sport that I think is a little bit out ahead of itself, right? Like we just, what we need for sports to come back really is a vaccine. And we don't know if we're going to have that by the end of the year. We don't know if we'll have that by the end of next year. We know that on the horizon somewhere, there probably is a vaccine. And then it's like, are there, are there rates of rebounding spikes where places have reopened? So far, you haven't seen a ton of that, but you have seen it in places. And I just think until we really know more information about the vaccines and about the rates of sort of reentry and how they impact it, it's hard to really know for sure. And yet what you've seen from baseball is sort of definitive stances. Like they, they, they're, they're talking like they know what's going to happen when no one knows what's going to happen. And so to right. me, it's more we got to see what, what, what this looks like before we really can know. But there's a baseline to all of that, which is, you know, half their revenue f- comes from TV, if not more. And the amount of money at stake is staggering, not just for the players, but for the owners, for the teams, for everybody involved, not to mention the people even who work at the stadiums, the people who work in television, all this sort of ancillary people in this world too. And so I think it'll work out and I think they'll come to a compromise, Now. The question of that, whether that's a good idea, I think, is to be determined. But I think as with all things in sports and most things in life, when there's enough money involved, they'll get it done.
1: Greg, uh, my final question for you is you said you lived in uh, New York from 2007 to 2014. I think Will has a question for you about food when it comes to missing food that's in New York, Will. I think you have a question for him. Uh, well. <laughs> well, well, you're the one with the final question. You're deflecting it to me. Ask Why? him, Will. Ask him. Because well, Will you're... always asks everybody this, Greg. So, Will, ask Greg the famous food
0: question. All
2: right. All right. So, I'm a pizza guy. I love pizza. And when it comes to, you know, living in New York, you know, the pizza is king. It reigns supreme here in New York. What's the one thing that you miss about New York food? And what's your go-to New York food?
0: I think I just, you drooled a little when you said that. So when I, <laughs> when I was in New York, uh, well, two-part two, two part answer here.
2: yeah. The yeah first
0: yeah. thing is I miss food delivery that's free, you know, because that was amazing. <laughs> I mean, you could get any restaurant you wanted in a in a pretty big radius, and they didn't charge you $10 like Uber to get the food dropped off of your house. Like, I missed right. that big time. Mm-hmm. But um, I was at East Village mostly when I was there. I lived in Stuyvesant Town at 14th and Avenue Way. And I'm an artich- artichoke pizza guy all the way. So uh, that that was wow, always okay. my favorite. I liked going to the one on Fourteenth Street. Uh, that was sort of close to the office at the times where you could sit, and they had beers. But they had the stand one at Fourteenth and Second, and I would go there probably once a week. You know, that's wow. the one they got the artichoke spinach pie. They've got the margarita, and they've really there's a ton more than when I used to live there, but. Uh, that was always my favorite pizza and now I'm getting hungry just talking to you about it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Greg. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean <laughs> but look, we'll always know, ask that question. <laughs> Artichoke. Yeah. Artichoke pizza over Joe's. I love Joe's. I uh, like that uh, totally. like, you know they're all great, but like, you know, that was my job. I'm too. kidding.
2: Yeah. I'm kidding around. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. It's all good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Greg, man, thank you for taking the time. Um, before you go. Can you tell us anything that you're working on upcoming and how do the people follow you and everything on social media
0: yeah i'm SI greg bishop on twitter instagram same thing uh you know our, our website is just si.com i got a piece pretty soon on this, austin eckler the Chargers running back i wanted to write about what it's like to have your whole life point towards this moment that you capitalize on and then the world takes pause it was sort of about a dream delayed and how he got there and then I'm, I'm digging into some of the social justice stuff now. We're going to write a lot about what's going on in the world. And we're looking at, you know, um, one piece I'm working on is, is about that, that um, everything that's going on in the world now too. So I think uh, it's hard to write about sports right now when the world is so crazy. And I think, Absolutely. you know, whatever we can do to really sort of highlight some of that, I'd like to do. So that'll be coming up pretty soon on our website and, and on my social well said, Greg, well said.
1: Greg, thank you for taking some time all the way out west. Me and Will, appreciate it. Continue to stay safe and continue to be safe out. Thank you so, so much, Greg.
2: Thank you very much. You're always welcome back on anytime, Greg. Thank you for coming hey, on. Thanks for
0: having me, guys. We'll get a slice next time I'm out there in my office. I'll let you know. Please let us, do, please do. do. Let <laughs> <us know. laughs> yeah. Please you. do, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Greg. Thanks, see you, pal. Appreciate you. Good luck thank thank with you. it. All right, peace. Yeah, thank yeah. You. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Will, right,
1: well, that was the one and only Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated. Will,
2: how could you forget to ask him the I didn't question about food, Will? Bro, I did not forget. I did not forget. Will, you food. said final question, and I'm like, wait, he's
1: missing one. Come on, Will. Come uh, bro, on, man. <laughs> you, know, you, you deflect your final
2: question.
1: <laughs> but, but, okay. but, but Will, I do find a very uh, interesting. We've never had an an artichoke guy. That was the first one.
2: I'm not a fan of artichoke. That's why I I questioned it at first. (laughs) Right. right. I know Greg's gonna listen into this episode weeks later or whatever. (laughs) You know, usually from what I hear, it's either Joe's or Prince Street Pizza or East Village Pizza or even Two Bros. You know, one dollar pizza. I don't care. Two Bros. What else? Artichoke. Artichoke is just everybody's entitled to their own. Shout
1: out to Greg for coming on the show. Will yes. any final thoughts about?
2: Really, no final thoughts. Uh, you know, just you heard it with him with baseball at this point in time. The owners are talking about TV revenue and everything like that, trying to get money involved and such. And the main thing here is, look, listen, this is what it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to money at the end of the day. You know, Major League Baseball rejected the 114 game plan. They want to go out there and do something less. And the and the players already accepted the half of it. And now they're gonna ask for more, you know, as far as taking away their, their revenue, you know, their, their hard earned money. You know, oh, we really? agreed to something, we're not gonna agree to another thing. So that's first and foremost, it's what I've been always saying throughout the show. Like, do I feel bad for the for the billionaire owner a little bit? In a way, a little bit, but for the player, that like I that like we've said. It's gonna be here for only four years. When the owner's gonna be here for sixty? No, thanks. I'm not. I'm not for that. I'm all. I'll always be for the player. Always be for the worker. That's my final thought.
1: Yeah. Well. Uh, well. Uh, no final thoughts uh, with me. Well, you know, obviously we know the crazy times that we're yeah. in uh, right now. So just everybody just continue to stay safe and continue to do what you like to do. But um, Greg was a great man. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, shout out to Greg. For making some time to come on. Yeah, 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 good, good.
2: One more thing. Um You're good. you know, throughout all this chaos that's been going on in the world, and you know, this this hits home for me a little bit because of where I come from. I I'm in Long Island right now, on Long Island, I should say. I grew up in a in a neighborhood called Whitestone Queens for all my life. And to see some of the stuff that's going on, let these pro- let the protesters protest, let them do what they gotta do. They're not bothering you in any way, shape or form. If for the people out there that, are, you know, whether or not they're on social media, that they're ripping down the signs and everything like that, or that are going around and attacking people with the fucking knife, you're like, get the fuck out of here. You know, that's something that's not, that's not, you know, worthwhile. Let these guys protest in peace. And that's it. If you go in there and you're looking for a fight, Chances are you're going to get the fight back at you. And especially in the neighborhood like that, in which it's calm, it's a working class neighborhood, and people don't want to deal with any of this stuff. Enough's enough, you know, with that. Just let the protesters protest. Because what I saw, yes in these past two days on that Clintonville Street overpass is absolutely disgusting. Number one, seeing that kid rip down the signs Okay. That's wrong. And all every, he's getting all the negative press now for it, which is well-deserved. You know, you're looking for trouble. You're asking for trouble. And number two, with the guy driving on the sidewalk afterward on, on that fucking horrible, absolutely horrible. And the people there's, and Whitestone dude, I'll admit this to you and to the people out there like anywhere else you're going to have your scumbags, but don't let the scumbags, don't let the assholes go out and dictate and let, you know, the shortcomings of, you know, what a neighborhood is or what something means. There's always good. There's always something good. So let's not, let's not address that. Sean, I know it's, believe me, seeing all this stuff over the past couple of days, it hurts you know, talking about it, but it's just, it's wrong. And I, I grew up every day walking at overpass on that same side, walking over for years, going to school, going to friends' houses, going to my grandfather's house, riding my bike over there. And seeing that, let them protest, let them do it. They're not bothering you. they are only there for a temporary time. And if you keep on adding on more and more and more to it, where you have the kid ripping down the signs and he had the other guy coming out there with the knife. There's only going to be more and more and more people that are only going to support the cause. So it, this is all, believe me when I say this, this is, it's, it's wrong that those, that those guys tried to take down those signs, let them protest. That's it. They're not bothering anybody. It's like a bee. They're not bothering anybody, but when you hit it, they're going to sting right back at you. So that's it. You know, enough.
1: Well said, well well, well said. And um yeah, you know, um, you know, we, we have to find a way to do things uh peacefully and not forcefully. Uh, I think I think that's the distinction that everybody's trying uh, to right. figure out. So we have to figure out, you know, how to like we, we can do what we have to do, but do it in a peaceful, not forceful, violent, uh frustrating way. So but as, especially when it hits you know close to home as it does uh for you being from there also. Most oh, I, got, I
2: got I got friends and family still over there as well, so you know it's it, it hurts and you know seeing that and you know but again it's the world that we're living in right now. Enough, enough of this. As far as let let the protesters protest, that that's it. Let them protest. They're, they're not yeah. bothering you. They're not bothering you. Let them go out there, do what they got to do, and that's it.
1: Well said both said. Both said. Well, so no final thoughts uh, from me. Just want to thank Greg for coming on the show again, and um, well, we'll just keep on knocking out these um, uh, episodes, and uh, we got another one in about a few minutes. So let's, yeah, let this absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> let's absolutely. end this one. Let's this one, Will. So for Greg Bishop, our featured guest, and for my co-host William Truchi, A.K.A. Will C. I'm your host Sean Thomas, A.K.A. Seanie on the mic, signing off on the board sports. Continue to be safe. Continue to stay safe, and like Will said. Do things peacefully, not forcefully. Signing out for On The Board Sports.